Well, today is Orphan Sunday, and you've heard us talk a lot about Village 127 over the last couple of years, and some of you are still uh, wondering what Village 127 is. Well, let me just start by saying that it is based off of James 127 that talks about pure religion being uh, caring for the orphan and the widow. And, and so Village 127 was birthed by several people in our church that said, hey, we know that uh, there is a huge need for foster care and for adoption in our community. And so they wanted to support families that are going through that process and to support them well. Their vision is uh, to uh, be a community that helps those that are uh, foster, foster and adoptive parents to, to lean on uh, while walking through the journey of foster care and adoption. We believe that in order to fulfill this calling, it takes a village. Our goal is to be part of that village for families in the apex and surrounding areas. So I'm grateful to God for ministries like Village 127 that says, man, we see a need and we want to make a difference. We want to meet those needs in any way that we possibly can. Our goal for you today is to recognize that maybe not everyone in this room is called to foster or to adopt, but we all have ways that we can help. So as Christians, we are called to do that. We are called to support. We're called to help in, in, in a variety of ways. And we hope to present some of those to you today. And then there'll be others in this room that, man, you'd never considered fostering. You never considered adopting. And, and God may spur your interest today. God may use what's happening today to really uh, reveal to you that he has something for you to uh, do. And we'll talk more about that in just a few moments. I was reading some statistics around our, uh, our area. What, what does it look like by way of foster care in our area, looking at our state and then more specifically at our county? And I read something that was written a while back, but um, it speaks of how North Carolina is in a foster care crisis. Federal data shows that the number of licensed foster care homes in the state catch this, dropped by 23% from 2021 to 2022. That means there's only about 5,500 foster homes available for approximately 10,200 foster children in our state, in North Carolina. So Wake County, uh, more specifically, they've converted their visitation areas within the DSS offices into bedrooms. So they've thrown beds in there and dressers in there. And county social workers are serving as caregivers on top of their current roles in the day-to-day -day job and responsibilities that they have. So last year alone, 78 children slept in that office and a majority of them stayed longer than a week. And so think about this, as, as we're considering caring for these children well, what's happening is because you have more kids than you do homes, many of these kids are being forced outside of their county to find those placements, and many kids are actually being forced outside of the state to find those placements. And so the goal is to get the child reconnected with their parents if it can become a healthy situation. That's ideal to get them with their, their parents, but uh, you know, it, that becomes increasingly difficult whenever that child who was already kind of snatched from a tough situation, they're now being placed in some type of foster care. Uh, think about this just mentally and emotionally. 
those children are not only being taken away, but they're being taken outside of their county and many of them being taken outside of their state. And so they find themselves in just this difficult, difficult place. When we see needs like that, we as a church, as followers of Jesus, we must recognize it as a need. And as we talk about living sent lives, we must recognize that we are called to live sent. And specifically on days like today, we're highlighting a way for us to live sent is orphan care. Uh, So again, that's the thrust of today. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 9. And we're going to finish by God's grace, Romans chapter 9 today, verses 25 through 33. And I'm going to give you a 10,000 foot view as to what those verses are about. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the, the title, which I believe encapsulates what these verses are about. And it's the grace of God. If you are a believer here today, you know that you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. So we are walking in a salvation that was granted to us by the grace of God. And what that salvation does is it moves us to live Christocentric lives, meaning we want to live our life in such a way that Christ is at the center. And if, as, as Christ is at the center, man, we, what we're saying is we're going to surrender everything to him and we want to be used by him to make a difference in the world around us. I said this in the early service. I'm going to go ahead and kind of preemptively say it now. I said it later in the sermon in the last service. This is not a self-serving statement. I just need to paint a quick picture. When I was 23 years old, I became a lead pastor. Uh, I, I, I was serving as a student pastor before then. I don't know who in their right mind would call a 23-year-old young man to be their pastor, but a church in North Florida did. They were desperate. And so uh, I, I've, I've seen over the last 19 plus years of serving as a lead pastor, I've seen how the Lord can use everyday, ordinary people to accomplish some pretty extraordinary things, right? Exhibit A would be uh, in my own life, I'm, I'm amazed that God would save someone like me. I'm further amazed that God could even use someone like me, even if it is only in a small scale. I'm grateful to God for that. Now, think about your life. You have no idea how God could use you if you would only surrender everything to him. You see, I'm fully convinced that when you are so moved, so stirred by the grace of God, here's what inevitably happens. That grace pushes you, pushes you out to go and serve him and to serve him in ways that you didn't even see coming, man. Like God's going to be opening these doors for you that you didn't know he was going to open. And he's going to do things in and through you that you had no idea he was going to do. But he's pushing you out to go and to do these things. And the only way that you can get there is when you surrender and you realize that I'm not saved by anything that I did. I'm saved by God's grace. And as a response to that grace, meaning I can do nothing to pay God back. There's nothing I can do to make him love me more. There's nothing I can do to make him love me less. I can't earn, you know, his, his uh, kind of pat on the, the back because I'm doing all these amazing things for him. So my only proper response is to say, God, I can't believe you had saved me. I want to live for you. And I want to live for you faithfully. We're going to see some of this in Romans chapter 9 today, this glorious grace of God that saves us from our sins. If you're willing and able, please stand in honor of reading the Word of God. Hey, if you're excited to be here, we say amen. Amen. 
All right, cool. Here we go. Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 25. As I say each week, if you have not had the opportunity to catch up, make sure that you do, because this will help us to understand the book of Romans in full. We finished verse 24 last week, now stepping into verse 25. This is a quote from Hosea. It says, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called, they will be called, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah, there's actually four quotes from the Old Testament here, two from Hosea, two from Isaiah. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not let us offspring, let us, had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because it's all of works. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. May God bless the reading and proclamation of his word today. You may be seated. Now, at the time of Paul's writing, many Jews rejected the message of Jesus, and many Gentiles simultaneously were welcoming and embracing the message of Jesus with enthusiasm. So, the idea that the Gentiles could be considered God's people was foreign to God's chosen people who were by birth descendants of Abraham. This is why God is speaking to him through Paul as Paul is quoting very familiar passages to them from the Old Testament that say, hey, even though you are as numerous as the sand on the seashore, only a remnant of you are saved. Why? Because you are hanging your hat on your works. You're hanging your hat on self-righteousness. You're hanging your hat on physical descent and you're not placing your faith in the Messiah. You're not placing your faith in Christ. So here's where the hangup is. Here's where the struggle is. And this is confusing to the Jewish people because they're saying, how in the world could God love the Gentile? They are not God's chosen people by birth. How could God love them? And Paul points back to Hosea to say very simply that at one point God called his chosen people, not my people. And now he is showing that they now are my people, that all peoples can be my people. Why? Because he has sent Christ to be the propitiation for the sins of all who trust in him. Uh, an interesting question is, well, who are the Gentiles in this context? Well, the Gentiles could be Pharaoh's descendants. 
They could be Ishmael's descendants. They could be Esau's descendants. They could be some of the scattered Jews. And God is saying it matters not what your physical birthright is. What matters is your spiritual birthright. Have you trusted in Christ as Savior or are you still trusting in what you can accomplish? And there's a clear parallel here with cultural Christianity in our day. We are not saved by our church attendance. We are not saved by the amount of, uh, of giving that we, that we partake in. We are not saved by checking all of the proverbial Christian boxes. No, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And our response to that is I want to be a part of a faith family, of a body of believers that prays together, that worships together, worships through song, worships through the word, that changes their community by going out and sharing the gospel, that changes the lives of those around them by discipleship and encouraging one another, that changes their world by sending people out, people out on the mission field, sending people out to plant churches. This is what we are a part of. Why? Because we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It is all of grace. It's not because we do these things in order to become a Christian. No, we do these things because Christ has changed us. So as we consider today, a day where we focus on orphan care, we are simply saying that as we, see, as we live sent lives, a part of a way to fulfill uh, that living sent emphasis that we have on us as followers of Christ is, man, we want to care for those around us well. We want to care for the orphan. We want to do all that we can to be a support to them. As I think about the amazing grace of God in my own life, I'm reminded of what Paul said to the Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 2. You know, he was very clear that there was this the entire debate around circumcision. Galatians talks about it. We see it earlier in Romans. It's here in Ephesians. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 2, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, you are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. What they meant by that is, no, we're God's people because we we are his chosen people. We are the perfect Jew. We are physical descendants of Abraham. This is who we are. Paul's highlighting that. And he says in verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But listen to verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So then what this means for us is our hope is found not in cultural Christianity. And I hope you understand what I mean by that. It's not found in us just saying, hey, we have this heritage of going to church, even, even going through the baptismal waters and calling ourselves believers. Our hope is not found in any type of work, which is why we don't believe in baptismal regeneration. That's why we don't believe that, uh, you know, simple church attendance is what's going to get us that. We don't believe in any type of work. What we are saying is those things matter. Those things are incredibly important. And we ought to walk in obedience to those things. But the why behind it is we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's the blood of Jesus that saves his people from their sins. And this remnant that Paul is speaking of, he's simply saying that, hey, just because you do a lot of good things doesn't mean that you automatically make it. No, you need to trust in Christ. 
There's a scary, scary passage in Matthew chapter 7 where there are people that did a lot of churchy things. They stand before the Lord and say, Lord, we did all of these things for you. And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. You see, a faith that trusts in Christ who has been saved by his glorious grace, that faith is moved to work. But there's this other vein, and this is where the Pharisees live. They believe that their works is what justified them. They're standing on the boxes of their works instead of standing in and covered in the precious blood of Jesus. Paul is highlighting this, and I think a really good example here is the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee and the publican, they go to the mountain to pray, and the publican, man, he's beating his chest, and he's saying, God, have mercy upon me, for I am a sinner. And then you've got the Pharisee over here, and he's saying, hey, God, man, I'm so grateful I'm not like that dude. That, that guy's evil, man. You see, I tithe, I pray, I do all the right things. God, thank you that you didn't make me like him. And the parable ends, and it says, who do you think went away justified? Well, it wasn't the Pharisee. No, it was the publican. As the text says, they were not successful because they were trying to obey the law and their faith was in the law instead of the precious blood of Jesus. You know, we have to get to a place where we recognize that we are wretched, as Paul says earlier in the book of Romans. And this isn't a self-deprecating or evil thing for me to say. I said last Sunday, we're not super lapsarianists where we believe that we're born inherently good and God's just being ugly by calling us sinners. No, we are born into sin. We are wretched because of our sin, and we are in need of a Savior, right? And so it's not until we get to a place where what the Puritans say, uh, where sin is bitter in our lives. It's not, it's not until we get to a place where we recognize that sin is bitter, that way we can fully understand that Christ is sweet. He said it this way, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. When we recognize who we are before the Lord and we recognize the grace that has been given to us, we see the sweetness of Jesus. This text closes by saying, hey, let's not let any of these things become a stumbling block for us. So, so as we come before the Lord, let's recognize that it's a stumbling block when we push Jesus out of the way and say, I got it. I can do this on my own. I'm good enough on my own. Let's not do that. No, let's run to him. Let's trust in him. And let's be encouraged by another passage in Hosea. Simply says this, go get her, show your love to your wife again. Enough, uh, even though she is an adulteress, show her your love. I don't have time to go through the entire book of Hosea, but you have Hosea who's married to Gomer. And God very purposefully has a story here. Um, I teased in the first service. I said probably the first problem was her name was Gomer, right? But then I was like, somebody's probably named Gomer. So I wanted to go ahead and tell you, like, my daddy's name is Gilbert. My mama's name's Alma. My dad goes by Andy. My mama goes by Sherry because we're full of bad names in our family. So no hate, all right, on Gomer. But Gomer stepped out on Hosea, stepped out on Hosea, stepped out on Hosea. And God was saying to Hosea, receive her back and love her even though she was an adulterer. And he goes on to say that this is how I treat my people. This is humbling, here's why. Because in many times in our life, we find ourselves in this area where we are not pursuing Christ as we ought. 
And isn't it good to know that even in those moments, man, it's all of grace that God would say, you're my son, right? You're my daughter. We were talking in our life group this past week how there's nothing that your youngins could ever do that would make you love them more or make them love you le- make, make you love them less. You just love your youngins. Yeah, you can be, you know, you can be certainly proud of them and you want them to do well, but they're, they're, they're your child no matter what. I watched my grandmama growing up. I stayed with her a lot and she would drive every opportunity she got and she didn't have the money to do it. She would drive every opportunity she got to go see my uncle who was in state prison and and I would go with her and I just remember that. And I would think to myself, even as a young man, why would you do this? When he came home, she threw him a party, had a banner out front, welcome home. Why would you do this? He's in prison, man. You want to know why she did it? That's her boy. She wasn't proud of what he did. She wasn't throwing her stamp of approval on what he did. But that was her son. God is very clearly saying that we ought not to walk in sin. We ought to grieve over our sin. We ought to repent of our sin. But even in the midst of it, it's all of grace that God would even save us. Because how many of you since becoming a Christian have walked perfectly? Thank you for not raising your hand. I would have been confused if you did. We don't. But our desire is to walk in a manner which pleases the Lord. Why? Because he has been so kind and so good to us. So as we consider this portion of Romans and the grace of God and how he's mighty to save all peoples and how God has always been for the nations, for all corners of the earth, and no matter what your background is, where you come from, where you are, man, God's arm is not shortened as Isaiah says that he cannot save. Man, he can save anybody. Come on, somebody. I'm exhibit A. He can save anybody. This grace of God moves us. It moves us towards pure religion. As we talked in James just a while back, we receive the word of God. We welcome that word. We submit to that word. As I mentioned at the very beginning, you have yet to see what God could do in and through your life if you would just fully submit to him. We welcome the word, we submit, and then that word of God moves us to serve him. And today, there are two very practical things that you can do in terms of foster care and and orphan and and adoption okay so consider orphan sunday there's two very practical things that we're going to call you to do here's number one how many of you remember last year we had an amazon wish list that you could just kind of click on and we had uh we had this wish list that was placed together so that we could serve foster families through village 127 do y'all remember that man you guys absolutely rocked that last year this is not hyperbolic i think within three to four days Um, Last year, that entire list was satisfied. And Sarah and Ethan Meadows, they had all of the gifts coming to their house and they disseminated from there. They were just teasing about how well they got to know the Amazon delivery drivers. Like it was awesome. But you serve those families well. We're doing that again this year. There's eight families through Village 127 that we want to serve. So you'll see on the screen a QR code. You can go ahead right now if you want to. Take your phone, iPad, whatever you got. You can uh, go ahead and get that set up so that you can save that wish list. And you can, very practical way, you can shop uh, for these families and you can serve them well by doing that. Don't worry if you don't have your phone. We've got some printouts in the Main Street area. You can grab those, take them home with you, and you can have that QR code at home uh, that can help you out there. Okay, so that's one way you can very practically serve. Here's a second way. We have some organizations, agencies, partnerships that, uh, that, that we have as a church through Village 127 that are here today. 
So they're out in Main Street. One of the things you can do is you can simply go around and talk to these different organizations. Really cool thing is if maybe you're considering foster care or adoption, there's so many people you can go and talk to about that. You probably walked in today, some of you thinking there's no way that's even on my radar, but, but God's done something in you already today and, and you're just wanting to have a conversation. We've got people here for that. We also have um, Village 127 has a booth there. We have different people that you can talk to and simply say, man, how can I help? You know, you may not be called to foster or to adopt, but there's ways that you can help and support and assist. And so there's some folks that you can talk to out there today that will help you to see uh, some of the ways that you can hold the arms up of those who are uh, doing that faithfully. All right. Does that sound good? So those are two ways, QR code, and then want you to go to our ministry fair that we have out in Main Street before you go eat lunch. Uh, it'll be well, well worth your time. Sound good? All right. Y'all excited to be here today? Blessed by today? Cool. Um, let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll just dismiss right out into Main Street. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this service, God. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to serve. I can't help but think about these children, God, who are going to sleep at night, who do not have a mama and a daddy to hug them, to tell them that they are loved, valued, to pray over them, to tuck them in at night, read them a story. So many are littered with anxiety and fear. They don't know what's next. They're being transported throughout the state, many outside of the state, just to find a place where they're received. And God, we as the church, we recognize that we have been saved by grace. We don't deserve it. And that grace moves us to serve others and to live sent lives. So as we love God, love people, and make disciples, God, help us to see that this is an area that you very clearly pointed out in the book of James. You very clearly pointed out that this is what pure religion looks like, to care for the orphan. And God, as we are serious about being pro-life and serious about women making decisions to say they're choosing life, we as a church must step up and welcome these kids that are being placed up for adoption into our homes, supporting the families that are doing the same. So Lord, I pray that you awaken in us very clear direction of how you want us to serve you in this area. Give us a heart posture of full surrender. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.